This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Insys Therapeutics is now the first opioid manufacturer to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. The company made the move on Monday just days after agreeing to pay the federal government $225 million as a settlement with the criminal and civil cases against the company tied to their role in the opioid crisis. Insys was accused of bribing doctors to prescribe its fentanyl-based spray. Now the government may not be able to collect all of the money that it is owed. There is also some question as to whether this could be the start of more Chapter 11 filings by drug manufacturers who could be facing large settlements from the opioid crisis. Joining me in studio right now, Rob Field, Professor of Law and Professor of Health Management and Policy at Drexel University. He is also a lecturer in the Wharton School's Healthcare Management Department. And joining us in just a few minutes, Vincent Bacola, who is an Assistant Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics here at the Wharton School. We start out with Rob. Good to see you. Thanks. Is this, I mean, as this story played out, it did leave me feeling that this will be the first of several Chapter 11s we may very well see. It certainly could. Uh, Purdue Pharma has already indicated that it's considering the possibility. I think this case will be the beta test for this strategy by the pharma companies. Uh, We'll see how it plays out if they succeed in getting out of the federal settlement what kind of shape the company's in. They say that they want to sell it. Uh, will they be able to sell it? Uh, just all these moving parts uh, will determine whether it was successful from their point of view and then whether other companies will want to imitate. And I guess there would be some expectation that that at least part of this settlement would be paid, maybe not all of it. And and that's where the federal government may have a, a, a little bit of an interesting quandary here is that This is a company that already has about $260 million in debt on its books already. And so now, because of the Chapter 11 filing, the government is basically the same as any one of those other creditors looking to get paid. Actually, that's one of the issues that has yet to be determined. Okay. Um, Government claims, uh, particularly state claims, can have priority over other creditors uh, because of the state interest. Um, but they they may not. It's really up to the bankruptcy judge to decide. Uh, so that will be an important factor as this plays out, uh, seeing whether the government's claims are protected. In any event, it's likely that the government will not receive all of the settlement that they'd agreed to. But th- th- this is a story, unfortunately, that I think we, we have seen play out for a while in, in terms of the accusations against right. INSIS, bribing doctors to be able to use their particular product. It is a question, I think, about the industry as a whole, because you have uh, salespeople, representatives from a lot of these companies going into doctor's offices, trying to make sure that their products are used by, and this is not just in this part of the industry, this is healthcare uh, across the board, pretty much. Yeah, I think you have to separate out the litigation strategy from the government's point of view. Uh, Part of it is to go after wrongdoers, uh, the company executives uh, and salespeople who bribe doctors to get patients addicted. I mean, basically, that's no different from being a drug dealer. Um, And then uh, the social benefit of getting a recovery that can be used uh, for mitigating opioid addiction and treating overdoses and uh, trying to solve the problem going forward. So you have these two separate goals. Um, the fact that they pushed opioids is not the same as actually bribing doctors. That's, yeah. that's crossing another line. So the punishment part of this probably remains. Uh, the sentencing of the executives uh, has yet to happen. Uh, so they could face some 
personal um, uh, consequences for this. Um, in terms of the money, though, available uh, to help mitigate the opioid problem, that remains to be seen. Now, and for people that don't know, uh, when you have a Chapter 11 filed, it's basically, as it says, it is a protection. It allows the company to continue to do work to be able to bring revenue in so that they can pay off all of these debts. Right, right, right. And there's an interesting wrinkle to this, which is whether they remain eligible to get reimbursed under Medicare and Medicaid. Okay. Uh, one of the remedies the government can use in a case like this is to disqualify them so that their products would not be eligible for reimbursement, which is going to destroy a, a huge part of their market. Um, the government didn't do that in this case so that they could continue to get revenue, presumably to help pay the settlement. The government always could. But I think now more than ever, they don't want to disqualify them because they want that money put into the kitty uh, to pay everyone. And from what I read, the settlement itself, if it were to play out as $225 million, that that would be broken up basically over a a, a series of years so that the the government, or I should say so, INSYS wouldn't have to to, uh, pay the entire lot in, in one full shot. Right, right, right. So it's a structured settlement that extends over several years. Um, that re- raises a, a few questions. Uh, one is uh, how much money are they going to get up front? If they get those initial payments, then yeah. there may not be that immediate an effect. The other is what happens when they ultimately sell it? Uh, will the buyer retain those responsibilities? And, and that's in a way more important because they have said they are going to sell the company once the bankruptcy proceedings are over. Right. And then what happens? Um, a company acquires some liabilities. It's possible these would be discharged. That's another reason why it's important to see how this proceeding plays out uh, in terms of whether other companies are going to want to jump on the bandwagon. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, you can send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio, B-I-Z Radio 132, or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. Rob Field joining me in studio, professor of law and professor of health management and policy at Drexel University, also a lecturer here at the Wharton School in the healthcare management uh, department. This And we mentioned a moment ago that this is a story that obviously is probably going to continue to play out. But in terms of INSYS, how much do we believe that this type of activity do you think is prevalent in the industry as a whole? Unfortunately, I think it's fairly prevalent. Um, You've seen uh, enforcement actions like this against many companies. Uh, Johnson & Johnson is is facing them now in in terms of opioids and has faced them in in other regards. Um, There's a thin line between trying to educate a doctor and trying to bribe a doctor. Sure, yeah. And and sometimes the education can involve some inducements. You know, you bring pizza for their staff right. or you give them ballpoint pens. Right. Um, in this case, it was well over the line. Uh, so there are a lot of companies operating in that gray zone. Uh, you, you see plenty of, of pens and, and other swag with, yeah. with pharma names on it. Yeah. Um, it is unusual Uh, to see what they were doing, which is actually uh, paying speaker fees for speeches that weren't given. Um, 
but it does it does happen uh, and the temptations there are are great and the government can't police all of it significant difference between a, a 10 to 12 dollar pizza right. and, and what we're talking about here with some of these acti- actions right 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 absolutely now one other thing about insys to keep in mind is it is a very narrow company yeah. uh, Basically, uh, their only product was this fentanyl-based product. Uh, They're now expanding into some uh, cannabis-based medications. Uh, But with this one product uh, disappearing, um, it it really threatens their structure and and does indicate that they need bankruptcy protection. Well, that brings up the other side to this in terms of the size of the company like Insys. I mean, when you think about all of the companies that we've kind of talked about that are in this realm, you you have some massive billion-dollar companies that are, that are in this. Insys probably not in that category, hundreds of millions of dollars. And so you would think that the ability for some of the larger companies that may be involved in some of these settlements to be able to not have to file Chapter 11, just be able to set up that structured settlement is quite a bit easier than a company like Insys or some other ones that may be involved in this. Absolutely. Um, Purdue Pharma, which is the the manufacturer of OxyContin, which has said that they're contemplating bankruptcy as a strategy, is another narrow company uh, whose book of business is mainly around uh, opioid-type medications. Um, So it could happen to them. It could happen to some of the other small fish. Uh, but Johnson & Johnson isn't going to declare bankruptcy. And what that might do then is push the plaintiff's lawyers towards suing the bigger companies because yeah. they know they're still going to be there. What do you think that this is potentially going to mean from the legal side in, in terms of opioids moving forward? Because obviously there there is a, a medicinal value to right. having them. But the abuse side of them is obviously, as we're seeing now, quite a bit larger uh, than than I think many people expected. I, I wonder if we are going to see changes in in regulation around opioids moving forward from the government side. Uh, not just regulation, but standard of care. Yeah. And, and litigation. And we've been seeing this now for decades. Uh, it, it's like waves that go up and down. Uh, we have overprescribing, uh, as we've seen recently, and addiction problems. And then we see undertreatment and patients, cancer patients and others who genuinely need this kind of powerful medication not getting it. And then the pendulum swings back the other way. Uh, I think we are beginning to see doctors becoming much more gun shy about prescribing opioids. And we undoubtedly will see some patients who will be denied medication that they truly need. Right. Uh, it's that balance that is so tough to strike. Uh, if everyone played fair uh, and didn't do what Insys did and, and bribe doctors and d- deliberately try to get patients addicted, it would be easier to get that middle ground. Uh, but unfortunately, the temptation is just too great to, to not play fair. Well, and I guess also when you're talking about the investment that some of these companies are making, multi-million dollar investment investments that they feel that they need to have to go to to various lengths to be able to recoup that money as they move forward not that it's not that it's yeah. right not that it's obviously it is an illegal activity but still that's i i guess the mindset that some of these companies are dealing with right now um that's true for a lot of products particularly the biologics which can cost over a billion dollars to develop uh the opioids i don't think it takes a lot of research and development uh to develop uh, an opioid at this point. We, we've known about them for hundreds of years, probably thousands of years. Yeah. Um, you, you can tweak the formula, add fentanyl, make them more or less um, potent. Uh, 
But I, I don't think that kind of research and development is an issue there the way it is with cancer drugs or heart drugs or, or something like that. We're joined in studio by Rob Field, professor of law and professor of health management and policy at Drexel University. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. We'll get into the bankruptcy side in, in, in a minute, but from the legal side, you mentioned about producing. Pharma, Insys obviously has has gone through their uh, side of this. If if this bankruptcy were to hold up, the, what are the options for the government to be able to try and collect some of this money? Well, they have to stand in line. You know, you take your number and you get your place. Uh, there are other creditors out there. There's suppliers. Um, there's their pension fund, their payroll, and so forth. And it's up to the bankruptcy judge to decide the priority and what percentage each one gets. Um, one of the rules of bankruptcy is uh, there's a look-back period of two or three months where any payments that were made in that period can be clawed back. Uh, the idea is they don't want the bankrupt company to be uh, favoring one creditor over another. Uh, so if the government uh, gets some of its money uh, today and the bankruptcy goes into effect a few weeks from now, uh, they may have to pay back some of that money. Uh, but I think it will uh, clearly uh, affect litigation strategies, what companies they go after, how they try to structure the settlements. Um, now, there's a, a precedent for this okay. uh, in previous mass litigation, particularly asbestos where some okay. of those, this is now going back 20, 25 years, yeah. uh, some of the big manufacturers uh, declared bankruptcy because they're looking at claims in the multiple billions of dollars. Uh, in that case, they were able to set up funds uh, for the asbestos victims, um, which I think is it's the best ultimate outcome here. If you right. had a giant pool and there's a little bit less in the pool because INSYS is bankrupt, uh, that's not going to have major effects. Um, if you're only looking at INSYS, then, then obviously it is. Uh, in the asbestos case, uh, you had an industry that was kind of dying out. Regulations were restricting the use of asbestos, um, so it wasn't a major hit to the, uh, to the economy. Mm -hmm. uh, in this case, when you have a narrow company like Insys going bankrupt, again, it's gonna, not going to be a, a major hit to the pharma industry. Uh, if it spread behind, beyond that, but, that but would be an issue. But how many companies do you think that are out there that are similar to Insys in terms of their narrowness that, that are involved in this, in this particular side uh, of the opioid crisis. Yeah, there, there, there's a handful of them. Um, and uh, all of those may fall like dominoes. Um, oh. uh, but, but again, if, if we're looking at what happened with asbestos or actually more significantly with tobacco, yeah. uh, that was 20 years ago. Um, there was a nationwide uh, litigation, a nationwide pool set up, a master settlement agreement that provided money for each of the states. Those companies were kind of too big for, to fail. That they, they were not going to go bankrupt. Um, and I think something like that is what policy uh, wonks would, would love to see, uh, so that any one bankruptcy isn't going to sink the ship. But the chances that, that you think that that could occur are, are what, 50-50 at this point? They're not, they're not great because we have litigation in, in different states. A lot of the cases have been uh, consolidated in Ohio. Uh, this is Massachusetts. We have cases in Oklahoma. Um, and perhaps as things develop. But, you know, these, these litigations, 
pollutants uh, go on for years or even decades. Yeah. Uh, um, asbestos uh, started in the late 70s, and actually it's still going on today. Uh, so I think we're seeing a, a drama that's uh, gradually uh, playing out, uh, and the bankruptcy is just uh, one, one chapter. We're also being joined here in studio by Vincent Piccola, Assistant Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics here at, at the Wharton School. Great to see you again. Uh, give us your sense of, of this this move by INSIS to to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Yeah, thanks for having me again, Dan. Um, I think the short of it is, from what we can see from first-day filings, already they're facing liabilities in excess of what they believe asset value is. So, I mean, really, it looks like a classic place where bankruptcy probably is the, the sound move, and there obviously are a lot more liabilities to come. How, how d- then does this impact what the government is trying to do in terms of claiming these settlements? Uh, and we were talking with Rob a moment ago. I mean, this basically puts the government in the line with every other creditor that, that that's looking to get paid at this point. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, if you think about what bankruptcy, corporate bankruptcy certainly is meant to do, it's meant to take away the advantage that one creditor gets by moving first. And what the governments have been doing in these settlements is moving first, settling their cases before private litigants uh, have had a chance to have their day in court and settle their cases. And the main, you might say, main principle of bankruptcy is that they all get treated alike. It, should the government then... When you think about the structure of these of this case and, and what we believe will be other cases with other therapeutics companies, other pharma companies that may be involved in this type of problem, should the government have a a, a greater advantage to collect first? Um, I don't I don't think so. But um, you know, more importantly, the law does not does not usually give the government a, uh, a priority. Sometimes it does in tax collection and some other detailed places. The bankruptcy code does not say, though, in general, that governments come first. Okay. It, so in terms of the settlements, then, potentially the government, the, the number that they have uh, settled on is $225 million. With this Chapter 11 filing, how much could the government potentially be looking at losing off of that 225 because of, of this entire process? I, you know, I, I would think most of that. So wow. so here's the way to think about it. And I, I'm not an expert on INSIS, so I, you know, let me just say conceptually here. Say that the company's assets are worth a couple hundred million dollars. I, I, th- I think I'm right in saying that's so about $150 million from what I saw okay. and the debt about 260 Okay. And so that debt is – that debt – it reflects this primarily the settlement as far as I can tell, right? right? So what that's not covering is all the other, the the value of all the other settlements it's going to make. And what you're ultimately going to see here, and it looks like, by the way, that INSIS didn't have a lot, if any, debt really coming into the opioid litigation. So what you're going to have to do is take that $200 million in assets as the numerator and divide it by however many, however big the ultimate size of the liabilities are. And in principle, the bankruptcy code says that each creditor gets its fraction of that two hundred million in value. So, so, if, so if you have ten creditors that are coming after you, and you you have two hundred and sixty million dollars in debt, that really does take that that number way down. And, and here we have thousands of creditors coming. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I would expect that you know, you know, government's gonna the government settlement that we have in incest, maybe it's going to get some pennies on that. 
on that dollar. Yeah. Uh, there's another important piece of this for Insys' point of view. I'd be curious as to your thoughts. Is that they can freeze some of the other litigation? And there it's a, it's a tactical issue. In addition to the money, they don't have to go through that process. Executives being deposed and cross-examined right. and, and discovery of their files. Uh, so that could be an equally important part of the strategy. Yeah, I think that's right. There are, you know, there are a couple of different strategic reasons why a company might want to bring litigation that's, you know, being reared in lots of places into one forum. In some cases, although I don't think this is the case in incest, the issue is that the company would prefer to have a bankruptcy judge, a trained lawyer, sort out liabilities rather than have uh, juries in, you know, opioid stricken localities assessing yeah. damages. I, I don't think that's what's going on in INSYS because, you know, the shareholders in INSYS are not going to walk away with anything no matter what. So I think the second reason you might want to be in bankruptcy court um, is exactly is right, exactly right, that it might just be much more efficient to uh, deal with all these claims in one place rather than bleeding away even more cash going to lawyers like myself. Uh, <laughs> might as well just line up all the people who are owed money and just try to get them as much as few many of those pennies on the dollar as they can. What about the the potential of, of INSYS being sold uh, and, and what impact that would have on this entire process? So a common way for corporate bankruptcies to be resolved is to sell off the assets in the bankruptcy setting, free and clear of all the liabilities, all the claims against those assets. The idea there is to just raise a pot of cash, and then you can just hand out the cash. Right. It's a lot harder to hand out you know, fractional shares of some reorganized INSYS firm. So that may well be the, the route to go um, in some of these cases. But fundamentally, the idea is just to separate you know, whatever productive assets that company has. I don't, you know, and I don't, again, I'm not an expert in INSYS, but if it has a, additional kind of drug lines and so on, separate those from the liabilities. But as you were saying before, Rob, that, that realistically this drug, this fentanyl-based spray that they had, that was really their, their bread and butter. Yeah, yeah. So one of the questions is a clinical question. Are doctors going to keep using it? It's incredibly powerful. Uh, it's a, apparently very helpful for a certain category of cancer patients who, uh, for whom other opioids are no longer working. Right. Uh, their strategy was to use it much more widely than that. If they can no longer do that, uh, is this a valuable product? And, and what do they have to, to sell to a successor company? But I, I guess that when you think about the, the company itself, as you mentioned, they're also getting into cannabis-based right. medicines as well. And obviously anything around cannabis these days is, is something that there is a belief that there is a great profitability down the road on it. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of companies have made that yeah. decision. It's going to be a very competitive area. So uh, it's not at all clear whether their product uh, is going to have much value. We're joined here in studio by Rob Field uh, of Drexel University, Vincent Bacola from here at the Wharton School. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I asked this question of, of Rob earlier, and I'll ask it of you. Is, is it kind of an expectation? You're obviously an expert in bankruptcy, but would you expect to see as more of these potential settlements are laid out, that more companies, more of these pharmaceutical companies will think about Chapter 11 to, to protect themselves? I think so. And just the, the magnitude of the settlement numbers that we're seeing, just from the limited government settlements we've seen, suggests to me a 
really big, uh, really big liability. And you know there may there are some of these firms that may be well enough capitalized that they just want to deal with it as is. I don't know that CVS is going into bankruptcy. And and yeah. again, also some of the claims are more attenuated, right? So claims against Insys, as far as I can tell, and against uh, Purdue look to me from the outside to be more serious kinds of claims than say the claim of a against a, a pharmacy that's just filling doctors' prescriptions. So you know I don't expect CVS to yeah. bankruptcy, but I, a number of other companies absolutely. The liabilities are just so big, and the management costs of dealing with the litigations look really big too. Yeah, I think part of the resolution will depend on what the plaintiffs' lawyers decide. Uh, if this turns out to be like tobacco or asbestos, uh, they're going to decide that combining um, all of these claims into a single litigation, uh, dealing with the assets of the bankrupt and non-bankrupt companies together uh, is the best way to get their clients paid and also to get their fees paid. Uh, then you'll see pressure to do something. You see that as an option, Vince? Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully, be able to get this herding cats is not. You know, if you look at the way that the asbestos stuff has panned out, I mean, it's basically been a disaster. You know, yeah, thirty years on, and lawyers are still taking thirty five percent from their, you know, for client settlements. So, you know, it's been an amazing boon for lawyers, uh, and not so much for their claimants or for their clients and the claimants against the, you know, asbestos. So, I, I hope, I hope there will be some way to. Um, um, centralize some of this, but especially if the numbers keep being as big as they are, we'll see. Great, great having you both with us. Thanks for coming in. Thank Rob, you. great seeing you. Vince, great to see you. Thank you for coming in. Thanks. Thank you. Vincent Bicola from here at the Wharton School, Rob Field from Drexel University, and also a lecturer here at the Wharton School. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.